You're listening to Warwick Radio Online. The voice of Warwick, Rhode Island. This is The Crimes That Shaped Our City. I'm your host, Kate Etassi. I was born and raised in Warwick and spent six years of my legal career as a criminal defense attorney in Rhode Island. I'm now medically retired from the law, but continue to be a true crime fanatic, which is why I wanted to bring Warwick Radio Online listeners a podcast series that focused on crimes allegedly committed by Warwick citizens or within our city limits. While I do hope to entertain you with the retelling of these crimes, it's not my intention to minimize or dismiss the negative consequences these crimes have had upon their victims and the family members of those victims. With all that said, I hope you enjoy learning more about the crimes that shaped our city. Welcome to another episode of The Crimes That Shaped Our City. Today's episode is part one of the State of Rhode Island versus Kimberly Mawson. Before we begin, I'd like to issue a trigger warning to the audience. The next two episodes will involve discussions of a form of child abuse known as shaken baby syndrome or abusive head trauma, including some description of the physical and mental harm caused by the abuse. State v. Mawson specifically alleged that the defendant, Kimberly Mawson, caused the death of her 19-month-old daughter, Jade, in December of 2002. For any listener uncomfortable with or triggered by discussions of alleged child abuse, please feel free to end the episode now and tune back in to Warwick Radio Online in two weeks. For those continuing on with the episode, the following are the alleged facts from State v. Mawson. According to the trial testimony, a 32-year-old Kimberly Mawson had recently moved herself and her 19-month-old daughter, Jade, from Connecticut into a small attic apartment in Warwick with Kim's boyfriend, 23-year-old Daniel Fusco. There was evidence presented that Miss Mawson had been frustrated lately with the toddler's temper tantrums and was feeling a bit confined living in the tiny attic apartment. In fact, Miss Mawson told the grand jury that she was experiencing cabin fever on December 2nd. There was also evidence presented that Kim had recently asked one of her friends to come watch Jade because Kim was having a meltdown. According to both Kim's friend and Jade's pediatrician, in the weeks leading up to her death, Jade had visible bruises on her face. Kim told the pediatrician that Jade was becoming hard to handle and had bad temper tantrums all the time. When asked about Jade's bruised face, Kim told the doctor Jade had been hitting her head on the floor, although the doctor found the bruises looked like fingerprint impressions. And on the morning of Monday, December 2nd, 2002, Kim was alone in the apartment with Jade when Miss Mawson called Daniel on his cell phone. According to Mr. Fusco, Kim wanted him back home as soon as possible because she was having a, quote, bad Jade day and needed some me time out of the apartment. At some point that morning, while it was just Kim and Jade in the apartment, Jade apparently pulled an eight-pound jewelry box off a speaker and hit herself in the forehead with it. Once Daniel came home, Kim got a ride from Dan's dad, Michael Fusco, to Walmart so Mawson could pick up diapers, baby wipes, and milk for Jade. While inside the store, Kim was paged to the front office and told to call Daniel back immediately. Mawson went outside so she could get a cell phone signal to call Fusco, who told her Jade had fallen down and wouldn't wake up. Daniel later testified at trial that when he came home that afternoon to watch Jade while Kim went out, he cleaned up a bit, then sat down to watch TV. 
At some point after that, Jade, who'd been sitting by the TV, stood up, took a few steps, and fell flat on her face. When he picked her up, he saw that Jade's eyes were closed, her breathing was strained, and she appeared unconscious. Daniel wanted to call 911, but since Kimberly believed he panicked easily, she told him not to, that she'd be right there, and she started running home from Walmart. In the meantime, Dan called his dad for his opinion. Michael Fusco told his son to immediately call 911. When Kim got home, EMTs were already there, and Jade was unconscious on the couch, wearing only a diaper. After Jade arrived at the hospital, tests showed she was suffering from a number of injuries, including a broken rib, numerous contusions about the head, chest, and back, hemorrhaging of the retinal and optic nerve sheaths, a hemorrhage on the back of the spinal cord in the neck area, fluid in her abdomen, and a tear to her stomach lining from a forceful blow, bleeding in her chest, and two brain bleeds, one that had occurred in the last few hours, and one that was 2 to 12 weeks old. A DCYF employee noted that the bruising on Jade's back looked, quote, like fingertips were all over the place and not in a consistent pattern, end quote. When asked about the injuries, Kim relayed the incident with the jewelry box and said the bruising on Jade's chest could have been from her, quote, holding Jade tight. I don't shake her, but just hold her tight, end quote. She denied abusing Jade and was adamant Daniel hadn't either. The DCYF employee overheard Kim say to someone that, quote, they better not accuse me of anything, end quote. And at least one witness overheard her saying she wouldn't believe Fusco had done anything to Jade unless they proved it to her. Several people found her to be rather unemotional at news that her daughter's injuries had left her brain dead. Instead, she appeared to be focused on reviewing the evidence they'd amassed of Jade's various injuries and quickly inquired about organ donation. Mawson allegedly claimed she had a background in forensics and because of that wanted to see their evidence, including the autopsy report. But apparently, Miss Mawson never went to school for, nor had any vocational background or training in forensics. Jade's neurosurgeon testified at trial that even if she'd bumped her forehead with the jewelry box that morning, it wouldn't have caused either of the brain bleeds. In fact, the only thing it might have caused would have been one or more of the facial contusions. When it comes to cases of alleged chicken baby syndrome, it's important to understand how forcefully shaking a child can cause such devastating injuries. According to licensed clinical social worker and author James Pinkover, an infant's brain is very soft and is developing millions of new nerves daily. The infant's skull is also thinner and more pliable than an adult's so that it can pass through the birth canal. It doesn't fully fuse and harden until the child's around two years of age. Infants' brains also have less of the substance known as myelin, which helps protect the nerves in the brain by forming protective sheaths around them. Disrupting the nerves can compromise the body's entire nervous system. And because a baby's head is 25% of its body weight, and a baby's neck muscles are still developing, shaking a baby can create severe force to the brain. During a shaking event, immature blood vessels that are loosely attached to the brain and weave throughout it can stretch and tear, and if that happens, the damaged blood vessels seep blood into the brain. These brain bleeds are known as subdural hematomas, with hematoma meaning a blood clot. It's been equated to me in the past as if someone forcefully shook an uncooked egg inside a small glass jar. The egg cracks. Over hours or days, the clot or clots expand and press on the brain and can cause symptoms such as vomiting, lethargy, chirping cries, and in the case of infants, poor sucking ability. 
In Jade's case, a doctor testified at trial that the injuries she endured would have likely caused an immediate loss of consciousness. Or, if there was a period of lucidity, she would have appeared glazed and wouldn't have been able to walk around much. The defense suggested that since Daniel was the one alone with Jade for at least 46 minutes before he called Kim in 911, and he presumably made the calls as soon as Jade fell, he must have been the one who beat and shook Jade. Shaken baby syndrome can also cause retinal hemorrhaging, which occurred in Jade's case, brain swelling, which also happened to Jade, ribbon skull fractures, to which Jade suffered a rib fracture, and can sometimes occur with no outward signs of injury at all. According to Pienkofer and the website shakenbaby.org, most instances of shaken baby syndrome are sparked by the child either crying, having a temper tantrum, a potty training incident, feeding issues, or the child interrupting something the caregiver is trying to do. As Pienkofer explains it, quote, it is a double-edged sword, a crying child who can't be soothed effectively, and an out-of-control parent or caregiver, end quote. He notes that 20 to 25% of shaken baby syndrome cases end in death, and that in the year after Jade's death, about 300 children died in the U.S. from shaken baby syndrome. According to his research, approximately 60% of all children who've suffered from shaken baby syndrome have significant physical injuries from the event, including blindness, developmental deficiencies, paralysis, permanent disability, or death. Sadly, Jade fell into a coma from her injuries and was later declared brain dead. She was taken off life support and passed away on December 4, 2002. Kimberly Mawson was indicted on a second-degree murder charge in May of 2005. Almost two and a half years later, she was tried before a jury in Kent County Superior Court. And after 10 days of trial, on October 26, 2007, was found guilty of murdering her daughter. At Miss Mawson's sentencing, she was given a 60-year sentence, 35 years of which she'd have to serve at the ACI, with the remaining 25 years to be spent on probation. At that hearing, the Superior Court judge told Kimberly Mawson she was a, quote, cold-hearted murderer, a dangerous person who refuses to come to grips with the fact that she killed the baby to whom she initially gave life, end quote. He further stated that Miss Mawson had, quote, committed an unforgivable crime, the murder of her own infant child. It was a cruel and heartless act undoubtedly committed when the defendant was in a rage directed at that child victim. She should never be allowed to be in a position where she might be able to commit any similar act, and she must be punished severely for her brutal offense against one so totally helpless. End quote. This could have been the end of my reporting on State v. Mawson, were it not for a criminal defense attorney coming forward in 2010 to say he had evidence that his own client, not Kim, had been the one to kill Jade. Stay tuned to Warwick Radio Online next week to learn what happened when this attorney came forward and what bearing it had on the case of State v. Mawson. Until then, stay safe, my friends. Thank you for listening to The Crimes That Shaped Our City. Please note that any legal analysis discussed in these episodes should never be considered legal advice. If you're in need of legal advice or consultation, make sure to contact an active, licensed member of your state's bar. If you have any questions or comments about today's episode, or any suggestions of a Warwick crime to cover in a future episode, feel free to contact me through my website, katherineetassi.com. The website can also be found in the episode's show notes.
You're listening to Warwick Radio Online. The voice of Warwick, Rhode Island.